0: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9. Episode 9.
1: This is Writing Excuses, what to do when truth is stranger than fiction. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry.
0: And we're not that smart. I'm
1: Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And as a special treat this week, we actually have Dan Skyping in for the first time. Unfortunately, there's some sort of static and interference on the line. He sounds a little bit odd. He actually sounds a lot like Mae West running a phone sex line.
0: Oh, his marshmallows are delicious.
1: <laughs> uh, we also have Nancy Pulda joining us. Nancy, we've had you on a couple of times. Can you tell us where people can find some of your work?
2: Um... Sure. Go to nancyfulda.com. There's a link called Bookshelf, and it will show you most of the stuff. Most of my stuff is short fiction, Mm -hmm. and that means that the original publications are often very difficult to find. But a lot of it has been uh, recycled Mm -hmm. onto uh, onto ebook format, Mm -hmm. and you can find the links to those, um, and especially the most popular ones. So the rights have reverted to you. The rights are reverted, and so I've... I've then put them up, uh, some of them on Amazon, some of them through Barnes & Noble. And, and I was
1: looking, you have a, some nice uh, blurbs on each of them for, so people could choose. If yeah. you were okay. going to give somebody one of your stories to read, other than Movement, which we've already promoted, what should they read?
2: Ooh. I would have to go with Backlash.
1: Okay. So go look up Backlash. Um, and
0: I'm just going to mention that Backlash is also on Audible. Oh, good.
1: Um, so... Truth, is Australian fiction. This is actually kind of a can of worms episode that we are hybriding into. We split it off from the idea of um, the narrative differences between character and author. And it's also getting into some of these these ideas of what do you do as a writer when you want to include something in your work that you know that readers are really going to respond the wrong way toward? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, how do you... Decide when you want to be completely faithful and true to what you know you've you've researched and when you just want to say "I want to have sound in space because it's cooler
3: you know what i i'm gonna, an example that's not actually from fiction a partner of mine who did uh, uh, did an illustration. Um, of uh, Loda, Longshoreman of the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. uh, in the Obama style, you know, the Hope oh, yeah. poster. It was Loda with the word food. Um, this artist's name is Cannon Hammacher. And I <laughs> met him, and I said, "I that is not right. Because if I were to put that name in a book, people would say, you can't use that name. That name is too cool for a main character to have that name. And yet... Canon Hammacker, real person. Wolf Blitzer, war mm-hmm. correspondent. Wolf Blitzer.
0: <laughs> you, cool. you can't use that in a book. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. Um, so one of the things, is, so sometimes it's things like names, where it's just like, this is so, it's, so, it's yeah. too perfect. Mm-hmm. And so it, it sounds contrived when you put it in a book. And a lot mm-hmm. of times you just have to walk away from those. Or you, you do the hanging the flag on it, which is right. that you, you use the name, and then you have other characters crack jokes about it.
1: Yeah, it has to become a plot element if you want, you have to fight for these things. Yeah, or
0: or at least a character element, even if it's Mm -hmm. not a plot element, but you have to incorporate it.
2: Or you create a causal relationship between the name and something else in the story. Yeah. If you can create, it, it doesn't even have to be plausible all that much, but if you can create some reason why something else in the story resulted in this perfect name, readers will usually go with that.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I remember. I think I've shared this story in writing excuses before, where um, one of my early books, the the unpublished ones, I was doing some research about the time period because so I wanted to set it kind of um, in a a much more you know Iron Age, maybe even Bronze Age society, and, and do it right. Uh, not go with the medieval sort of thing. And that, so I was reading a lot of books on this and I ran across one theory that said part of the reasons that chariots became such a big deal was, yes, in part because the stirrup didn't exist yet and that's really useful when you're going to war and riding on a horse's back, but it, they also thought that horses had not been selectively bred well enough in regions to carry a rider on their back. Huh. <clears throat> that they, But they could pull. They were strong enough to pull a rider behind them. Um, it was just a theory um, and looking online, I found that there are contrasting Lots theories, of theories. But I thought that is awesome. And writing a fantasy book—that's something I can say. These horses have not been selectively selectively bred over over the years. They can't carry riders on their backs. And so I started doing this, writing this book this way. And all of my alpha readers were saying things like, "Why don't they just get on the horses' backs?" Yeah. Um, and I couldn't in world have them say, "Well, we haven't selectively bred them well enough." <laughs> I mean, and so I ran into this issue where it had to become a major thing that I was struggling with to keep in my story.
0: Yeah, I call this the unteaching the reader. Yes. That that you have to, that the reader comes to the book with certain preconceptions. Mm-hmm. And if you are doing anything that flies in the face of that, even if it's real, yes. you can't, you, you have to first break them of the preconception that they've come to the book with.
1: And that's hard yeah, because it's kind of like reverse world building. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about this idea of you have to slowly ease the, the reader into the world, you know, your learning curve and things like this. Well, now you've added this sort of gateway before you can start your learning curve where you have to kind of blank some of their preconceived notions.
2: And you have to do it without breaking out of the
1: yes. frame the wor- of yes. the world,
2: which is what makes it difficult. Because if you could just jump outside of the of the mm-hmm. mental frame of the characters of the story, you could just say, well, of course they don't ride horses yet but the characters don't know that Mm -hmm. and that's where it runs into that's where it becomes difficult yeah and and it's i think particularly
0: difficult when you are in a secondary world where you can't even bring up anything analogous like Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. like that that story that i was working on with the moon yeah you know and i've got characters who who don't even have the concept of a moon because they've lived on part of the planet that doesn't have one and trying to get the book or the the story to the point that i could explain to my beta readers no no this is this is a tidally locked planet this is totally scientifically real yep involved needing to unteach stuff
1: Mm -hmm. yes and that can be so hard yeah it's it's one of the cool things you can do in writing but i think as new writers it's something i wasn't even aware of until it hit me smack in the face
0: yeah and for me the the tipping point is whether or not it is Plot important? Yes. Like I had, you know, I've had other things um, in in Without a Summer. I have them dancing the waltz. The waltz looks totally different Mm -hmm. in eighteen sixteen than it does now. Completely and totally different. Is it still in three four? It's completely and totally. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. I mean, like
3: because one of the defining
0: elements of of the the waltz. waltz. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and 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 I looked at it and I'm like, the amount of page space that it would take for me to unteach people. Mm-hmm. is not worth it. So I picked yeah. the, the waltz positions that were closest to modern and then was very vague about mm-hmm. what was happening in the waltz so that I just didn't raise the question.
1: Yep. And, you know, once again, this is um, this a onus upon the author mm-hmm. less than the reader. Yes. You can't fix every one of these things. There are going to be things, but... One of these was when I used the, word hat, the, word, the term hat trick um, in, in the Mistborn Trilogy. Now, this is something that we get into, this idea of, are the books in translation? And what's going to kick people out? Do you, do you use the word okay, um, which is kind of a modern or not? because there? And um, when I, I thought, hey, this, this turn of phrase works really well, I looked up the origin of the word hat trick. I'm like, wow, this predates modern sports by quite a bit. Um, and so I'm like, all right, cool, I'll use this. And it has thrown every reader who's hit that line out of the book. Yep. Um, to the point that even though I'm right, I should not have used that term. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> totally uh, Aletheia- Zambonied them. Yeah. <laughs> I totally Zambonied them. Yeah. Alethea
0: um, Contus was just talking about the fact that she had to cut the word, cut a word out of her novel, which has been around since the 1400s, because everyone said this is too modern. And, and the word was phase. Mm-hmm. You know, Exactly the same word meaning has not shifted.
1: Let's go ahead and do our Book of the Week. Mary, you were going to give us Chimes at Midnight.
0: Yes, so Chimes at Midnight is um, narrated by me, and this is in the continuing Sean and McGuire series. Um, you can step into these books with uh, without starting at the beginning, but it does help to read them straight through. Mm-hmm. the The thing that I love, and I've talked about this before, the thing that I love about these books is the character of October Day, and she's, um, she's basically caught between two worlds. One is the mortal world and the other is fairy and trying to decide sort of where she fits uh, in the world. And, and in particular with this, because we're dealing with, um, with San Francisco, it's overlaid on a real world San Francisco.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's also good to look at from the point of the things that Shannon has to teach and unteach the audience, about San Francisco and where she breaks San Francisco mm. to fit with Ferry. Awesome. So, Howard, how can they get that book?
3: Head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership and have a listen to Chimes at Midnight. Absolutely free. Uh, or you can pick up, I think, the whole October Day series is from it... Sean McGuire is mm-hmm. out there. And how many of those have you narrated, Mary?
0: Um, All of them.
1: so if you have
3: not yet grown weary of mary's voice and none of us have
1: no of course not
3: uh october day there's there's a lot of good listening out there for you
1: you know um (laughs) this topic is really useful and really pertinent to this podcast because i bet our listeners are not believing that we actually have dan on skype and that this strange interference is happening but the truth is stranger than the fiction right dan
0: it's so true (laughs) I'm here in Germany, and, oh, this chocolate that I'm eating is to die for.
3: Exactly. So. We are very fortunate that yes. Jan, Dan was not enjoying bratwurst.
1: Uh-huh, yes. Oh,
0: sausages.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so how do you decide as a writer? Like, when you're wor- working along in this... Um, Do you just put it in and then see if it kicks readers out? Do you preemptively decide? Do you, like, when in the process are you removing these things or are you looking for these things where the truth is stranger than the fiction?
0: Well, when I'm doing it, I look at whether or not my readers are disturbed.
1: I think all of your readers are disturbed, Dan. That's part of what you do.
0: (laughs) Um, I do the same thing as Dan. Actually, I, oh, I how, also wow look. Strangely, mm-hmm. uh, I also look at where
1: where it's kicking readers out. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll go ahead and put it in, mm-hmm. um, and, and just see. Now, I on times uh, this is kind of a similar topic. Um, one thing I've run into is sometimes the truth is not stranger than fiction. Um, it's what people expect, as yeah. we talked about before. And you'll be writing a book and you're like, this is what people anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is what I should do. And the, the thing, I, I, the example I have is, you know, kind of the, the whole um, women's liberation right. idea. Where when you're treating um, women in most periods through time, you have to kind of look at woman's place in society and there's not the modern um view of things like this and certainly through most through many periods it's not as bad off as we assume but it's still you know being a woman is a hard thing in a man's world so to speak and dealing with this in my books is something that you know in elantris i'm like i've got it i'm gonna have a woman rebelling against this and things like this and in Elantris Vin is moving through a very much a man's world and it's part of who she is and what's going on and after doing it through two series I'm like I just don't want to find a third take on this right um, do I need to in every book address this um, it is the truth that I really need to be looking at at what point do I say I'm not going to make this a, a focus for the story anymore
0: yeah, and and in that particular case, when you say it's the truth that you need to be looking at, yes. you're meaning the... truth of
1: that the... readers expect. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And as
0: opposed to the, the actual, because right. you're making be- stuff I'm making
1: up. fantasy yeah. worlds where I can do, as we talked about um, before, kind of um, the idea where in a fantasy world, I won't call it cheating, but that's the easy term to describe it, where you can go and say, this world has adapted differently. Yeah. You have much stronger gender equality in a society that, in other ways, feels very medieval, but is is you know has, has grown and progressed in a different way. You can do that as a fantasy writer, yeah. and is it cheating? And I've had to kind of talk about this with my think about this with myself. At what point is this cheating? At what point is it me just saying no? This is how the world is. It's okay to do that.
0: Yeah, and since there there are matriarchal societies, yes. it, mm-hmm. it's completely plausible. It's yes. just. Selling it.
1: Yes, you yeah. need to say something. Nancy? Yeah, I
2: was. Well, I was going to say that. I think you can do a lot too over the characters mm-hmm. because in any society, regardless of the way that uh, that the gender roles in the society laid mm-hmm. out, you are going to have personality types who yes. find the gender situation very difficult, and you are going to have personality types who breeze right through it and mm-hmm. hardly even notice. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. even take me right. I was one of three women in my computer science program. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Never bugged me, never phased me. As an adult now, I look at the situation and, and one, one perceives it a little bit differently. But as, uh-huh. as a 21-year-old, not a problem for me at all. That is very closely related to my background, my situation, other factors in my life, and my personality type. But if one is able to take a character and make that character believable, I think one can use the character very often as a, a focusing lens to focus on certain aspects of the society and the culture, and leave other ones out. Mm-hmm. That's
0: very good
3: advice. Yeah, it, on the on the front of you know potentially offending the reader by saying a thing or you know writing a thing that runs counter to uh, the way they believe the world works. Uh, you know that's that's difficult, and, and that comes right back to you know. Uh, uneducating or re-educating the reader, Yeah. Um, uh, what I found is that uh, every so often um, when I am going back through a story and adding footnotes for uh, the publications, um, I'll look for strips where I feel like something might be a little off. There might be something a little deeper here one of these, uh, one of the characters says, oh, sweet Newton, no, we've, you know, been fool. Well, was she talking about Newton the scientist or was she talking about Newton the the fig treat? And so I started reading about the fig Newton treat and realized that the words double funnel extrusion machine, (laughs) you know, as an invention in Newton, Massachusetts, were right there in this article about the fig Newton. And I thought, okay, you know what, that is, I could not have got, well, I probably could have gotten away with uh, naming a device, you know, the double funnel extruder. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but this is now going in the footnote. Um, and, and I love that angle of research. You know, yeah. look for things where you feel like you feel like there might be something deeper here. You feel like there might be something that your readers are going to bring to the table that you haven't addressed. Do some homework, and the answer might present itself. You might realize that there's, there's something that a character can bring into the scene with them that will, help, uh, that will help explain this. It's not likely to be a double funnel extruder, but if it is, win.
0: Yeah. Excellent. I'm now wanting to put in a double funnel extrusion in, uh, in Glamour.
1: <laughs> Just because with crossover. A with a footnote. And mm. on that note, uh, Dan, why don't you give us a writing prompt?
0: Oh, well, I think for your writing prompt, you should have your character be running through a double extrusion funnel and see what's at the end.
1: (laughs) Oh, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.